0: following podcast is a recreation of recordings from Universe 619. All words, titles, and information are authentic and unedited. As this universe has no bearing on yours, you are welcome to enjoy this as a work of fiction. For any questions relating to the multiverse, your place in it, or the crushing depression of knowing there are other versions of you in other universes currently living a better and more fulfilling life than you, contact Multiversal Consultant, Archivist, and Author Lancelot Castle. You can find him and more information at thenashamaseries.tumblr.com. Hi, my name is Ari Kravitz. Welcome back to Afterlife. I've got so much to tell you all. Honestly, I'm not sure where to start. I guess I'll just go in chronological order. Oh, that requires me to remember time and the order things happen. Let's see if I can do this. So, I almost fell out the window last week. I'm not even going to try to defend myself on that one. It was ridiculous. I was in the study. Not Amory to study. She keeps that closed and I don't want to invade her privacy. But the general study with the desk and the chessboard and everything is always open. And I like to go in there sometimes just to look at all the furniture. It's also beautiful. And the view out the window is beautiful too. It's just an open lake and it seems like we're right in the middle of it. It looks normal during the daytime. Beautiful, but normal. But at night... Wow. Have you ever seen pictures of those glowing lakes in Puerto Rico? It's like that. Well, it's not like that, since they don't really look like the pictures. When something disturbs all the little thingies in the water, they glow for a moment. Sometimes it's a small disturbance and it's like the stars have fallen into the water. Other times it's a big disturbance and there's a glowing cloud under the water. I've seen fish swimming through it and they leave a glowing trail in their wake. It's beautiful. Sometimes I like opening the window and sitting by it, just enjoying all the little glows as things happen underwater. I used to be afraid of the water, and I still am a little bit. I... I don't know how to swim, but it's beautiful, and when I'm not in immediate danger of drowning, I quite like the water. Anyway, I was sitting by the open window, um, watching a trail of fish, and I kind of got this idea in my head that I should stick my hand into the water. So I did, and it glowed. So I started tracing patterns and stuff, but, um... I didn't quite realize how far I'd started leaning out the window to touch the water. At least until I started falling out the window. I gave a very embarrassing scream, but then I felt arms around me, pulling me back inside. It took me a few moments to realize what had happened, but once I realized I went weak in the knees, Luckily, Dode still had his arms around me, so he led me to a seat and made sure I was okay. I was fine, of course, just scared shitless. Anyway, he made me a cup of tea, and I asked him how he'd managed to come in at the right time, and what he'd been there for. He seemed a little hesitant to tell me, but after he stared at me for a bit, he finally sat down next to me and rolled up his sleeve. He showed me one of his tattoos, a bright blue wave on his wrist, along with a time. Obviously, I hadn't been checking the clock as I was falling out the window, but I figured it was the time it all happened. He explained that the study window was the only place he knew with water that colour, so he figured he should be in the study at that time. Lucky for me, I suppose. I asked him about his tattoos then. He said they didn't hurt or anything, they just sort of appeared and disappeared as necessary. I asked if people were read to him about it. You know how people can be. They love to judge people based on appearances. He said that while he considers himself Hindu like his mother, he grew up in a predominantly Muslim community since his father is Muslim. He said that there were varying opinions on tattoos, and there were definitely some people who looked down on him for it, but overwhelmingly he said that since they weren't permanent, hadn't required any actual tattooing, and were being used to help other people, they weren't only acceptable, but... Most people thought he should be encouraged to use them to do as much good as possible. And his Hindu side of the family didn't mind at all. I don't know why, but I felt like he was opening up to me so much, and I thought I should reciprocate. So I showed him my own tattoo. It's not like his, I chose to get it. I know Jews aren't supposed to have tattoos either, but most of us have moved away from that and I'm more culturally and ethnically Jewish than religiously anyway. I mean, I'm religious, don't get me wrong, just in my own kind of way. And some of the rules, like no tattoos, just don't resonate with me. And so I ignore them and focus on the important ones, like not being a horrible person. <laughs> anyway, I had to pull the collar of my shirt down a bit. Doad looked a little concerned, but once he saw the little letters tattooed in dark blue above my left tip, he understood what I was doing. He looked surprised, to say the least, and he asked what it meant. It's in Hebrew. A line from the Song of Solomon. Anila dodi li." It means, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He said it was beautiful and asked me who I got it for. He seemed a bit put out about it, though. Or maybe just surprised at the idea that I might have been dating someone before I died. But... Oh god, was it embarrassing. I had to explain that I hadn't got it for anyone. I've never actually had a real proper relationship. I've dated people before, but it's never really worked out. Or gotten serious enough for me to get a tattoo for them. I... Got it for a really silly reason. I guess I already told him the story, so I might as well tell you all. A few years back, my family went up north for a holiday, up to the Orkney Islands. It was a wonderful holiday, and on our last day there, my parents and I were wandering around, trying to find something to do. They all decided they wanted to go see Scarabre again, but I'd already been twice, and I'd seen the little fortune teller shop on a walk, so... I said I'd catch up with them outside of Scale House. I went into the fortune teller's shop and it was about as cheesy and cliche as you can get. (laughs) There were incense burning along with herbs and all the lights were covered in delicate multicolored cloths. Um, Everything seemed to have a bell or a chime attached to it so the whole room tinkled anytime anything moved. This little old lady ushered me into a seat at her table across from the crystal ball on a stand. She told me I was looking for the wrong thing. I asked her what she meant, and she said I was searching for routine and stability, but it wasn't what I needed. She was right about the first part, at least. Even now, I want everything to settle down. I want to have a routine. Anyway, she offered to read my palm, and she told me my lifeline was incredibly short. I was pretty freaked out by that, so I asked her to read something that didn't involve death. She seemed disappointed, but she agreed to look into the crystal ball for me instead. I sat there for a good five minutes while she just leaned in real close and squinted at the ball. All I could see in it was my own reflection, but she seemed to be concentrating very hard. Finally, she pulled away and told me to get a tattoo. I kind of laughed awkwardly, but she seemed to be serious, so I asked her what I should get a tattoo of. She said it would be of my favorite words. Ever since I was a kid and went to my first Jewish wedding, I knew I loved the phrase. There was something so beautiful about the idea of two people belonging to each other equally. Not being the same person, but being bound to each other, being responsible for each other. I loved it. I knew immediately that she was talking about that. But I asked her anyway, and she confirmed what I'd been thinking. I agreed to get it, and she told me that one day I'd meet someone with the same tattoo, and that they would be my soulmate. I guess it makes sense. I mean, you meet someone with an identical tattoo to yours, it's a little hard not to think you've got some sort of bond with them. Anyway, I got the tattoo done in dark blue over my heart, but I've yet to meet someone with a matching one. Knowing my luck, it'll be one of the walkers or something. But Doe listened to me talk, and he seemed to find it quite interesting. He said he'd never actually asked anyone about their tattoos before. He'd apparently never really thought about why anyone else would get a tattoo, since his own situation is so different from someone actively going out to get one. We talked for a few more minutes, before he realized he needed to be somewhere else, and then he took off. He was acting a little odd after hearing my story. I don't want to sound conceited or anything, but I have a sneaking suspicion that he was a little jealous. He'd been kind of touching my hand and my arm to make sure I was okay every so often, but once I told the story, he stopped making physical contact at all. Which is exactly what I would do if I was jealous. Anyway, I don't want to speculate too much, especially on the off chance that I'm wrong. How embarrassing would that be? Especially if he listens to these recordings. I still don't know if he does actually. I should ask one day. I never really think to in the moment. But enough about that, on to bigger news. I went outside. For the first time ever. Well, not ever, but for the first time ever since I died and I guess I went outside in this new world for the first time ever. Hmm, everything's complicated. But yeah, I didn't get to go out for long, but Amrita decided it was safe enough for me to kind of wander around the front garden to get a little sunlight. I need some to keep my bones healthy and my energy up still. Vitamin D is important even for vampires, so she escorted me outside for a bit. One thing I'd noticed in the house was that all the windows facing the front show the same garden. They're the only ones that are the same despite being in different rooms. But it's only the ones on the front of the house. Even ones in the same room but on different walls don't show it. So anyway, Amrita and I go outside sit in the garden for a bit and have some tea, and I look back at the house, and it looks pretty normal. It's this big old three-floor mansion in this cute little mint green sort of colour. Amrita said she inherited it from her parents when they... Well, she never really said what happened to them. And given how many species here are immortal, I don't want to assume they've passed away. Anyway, regardless of what happened to her parents, Amrita owns the house now. I think I remember her saying she was 58, but my memory isn't the best and I could have misunderstood or something. It wouldn't surprise me if she was, though. She looks like most humans do around that age. She's very beautiful, and she's got those happy little love lines by her eyes. Not that any of this is relevant or matters in any way, I just get sidetracked when I'm talking. Usually I'd edit all my rambling tangents out, but since I can't edit, you just have to deal with them. Back to what I was actually talking about, the front garden was very nice. We sat on these little metal wire chairs next to a matching tiny round table, and we watched the road. The whole neighbourhood seemed like a very quiet suburb. I couldn't quite see most of the other houses since lots of them were concealed by high hedges, but the ones I could see looked a lot like Amrita's in various pastel shades. She let me peek down the road both ways, but I was advised not to step over the house's boundary. I asked if it had anything to do with vampires needing to be invited in, and she laughed at me. Not in a mean way or anything, she just thought it was funny. It turns out that the whole inviting vampires in thing is just because born vampires are raised with very good manners, and plenty of turned vampires have manners too, so they just don't enter somewhere without an invitation. It makes sense, I guess. Even before I was turned, I never wanted to enter to someone else's house without being invited in. It just feels rude. But she said that no, it wasn't a vampire thing. She just didn't think it was safe yet for me to step over the boundary line of the house. She and Doad had only managed to place protection up to the edges of the house. Which makes a lot of sense. I think if my neighbour asked me if they could cast a spell or put some kind of magic charm in my garden, I'd sell my house as soon as possible. Actually, no, that's a lie. I'd think it was super fucking cool. I'd probably agree in a heartbeat, and also demand to know more. But I feel like in this world, it's more like your neighbor asking to put a security hammer in your garden. That's reason to move out. Anyway, I looked both ways down the road. It was pretty anticlimactic, actually. I was expecting some cool, magical, otherworldly stuff, but... It was mostly just empty road and one woman watering her flowers. There was one of those little plastic red and yellow children's cars where you sit in them and move them by shuffling your feet along the ground. I asked Amrita if there were children in the area and she told me it was a gift for one of the Fae who lives nearby. Apparently he's very mischievous and likes to play with children's toys. So I asked Amrita what the back garden looked like and she seemed confused. She led me around to what should be the side of the house, and it quickly became apparent to me that, well, I I don't really know how to explain it. It was flat, it was a facade, in both senses of the word, and behind it was a small strip of grass, a fence, and another house. I tried looking at the back of the house, but I just got a headache, and Amrita led me back out front and told me to stop thinking about it. Apparently many houses in this world are like that. For most people, it's just an aesthetic thing, being able to choose your view from each room. For Amrita, it was also about protection. Since she works with a bunch of groups that fight bloodless purity, she's a bit of a target sometimes. So having different rooms in different places is very useful. Not long after that, we went back inside. I still felt a little sick from trying to understand whatever the back of the house looked like, so I went up for a enough. Naps are wonderful. It's like a soft reset for people. Whenever I feel bad, I just take a nice long nap and feel much worse when I wake up. And then I rehydrate stop the headache, stand in front of a fan to stop overheating, and then I feel better. So I took a nap and when i woke up dode had shown up and was talking to amrita i walked in partway through the conversation took a seat and kind of half listened to what was being said i didn't totally understand it but i gathered that he was going out to get groceries because someone was coming over once Doad left amrita enlisted my help setting up one of the other spare rooms for whoever the guest was it was pretty clear as soon as we walked in that It was set up for someone specific, much like Dode's room was. It wasn't a surprise that in a house with so many rooms, Amrita often entertained friends, or that those friends often had their own specific spare rooms. This one was colourful and cheery, all yellows and pinks and greens. The bedding was floral and looked like a Bubby's couch. I absolutely loved it. And outside the window was a beautiful garden that looked well-kept, but... In a homey kind of way. All the beds were freshly tilled, and fat little bees buzzed around the flowers, their paths wonky since they were so weighed down with pollen. At the other end of the garden was a little cottage that looked like a witch should live inside it. Despite being on the second floor, it looked like we were on the ground floor, and there was a door to outside leading into the garden. As we were finishing dusting the room, I could see someone wandering out of the cottage and down the winding, handmade stone paths of the garden towards us. The first thing I noticed was the cheery orange sundress and sensible shoes, then the floppy sun hat and white bum bag, and finally the beautiful long black curls, dark skin and graceful walk. Amrit seemed thrilled to see this new person, rushing out the door with a bright smile. I couldn't deal with going outside and seeing the weird house again, so I waited until they came inside, and Amrita introduced me to Mem. Mem had been asked by Amrita to help protect the house and teach me magic. Amrita explained to me that Mem is a Mikubal and practices Jewish witchcraft with a specialty in protection. Mem seemed excited when I asked if Mem's name was taken from the Hebrew letter, and it turned out it was correct. We bonded a bit over Jewish stuff, and Mem explained to me that Mem doesn't use pronouns, just Mem's name. As much as it feels a little weird to say Mem's name so much, if it makes Mem happy and comfortable, then who am I to judge? It's such an easy thing for me to do, to respect someone else and make them happy. I mean, some people don't like calling me they. I'd be a bit of a hypocrite if I was upset by anyone else's pronouns. Not to mention a major asshole. Anyway, Dode returned pretty quickly after that, and Mem and Amrita made dinner. Dode and I kept them company in the kitchen, trying our best to stay out of the way. They seemed to work well together, like they'd cook together pretty often. Dode explained to me that Mem and Amrita had been together once upon a time. Mem has a wife now, but Amrita is still close with both of them. We all had dinner together, and Amrita updated Mem on everything that's happened so far. We agreed that Mem would focus on protection first, and then teaching me some magic once Mem thought I was ready. They've all agreed to take me into the nearest city soon, Phaeton. It's... weird. Phaeton in our world is just this tiny little village, but uh, apparently it's a big city in this world. Oh, Mem also told me Mem's name for the two worlds, and I think I'll be adopting them. So in the Jewish calendar, we have a leap month instead of a leap day, right? Every 19 years, we have 7 leap years on a pretty complicated cycle. And on a leap year, the month Adar happens twice. We call them Adar Aleph and Adar Bet. So Mem calls the two worlds World Aleph and World Bet, or Aleph and Bet for short. Because Mem is also human and from the human world, we're calling the human world World Aleph. I'm not sure if it'll stick or not, but I guess if I'm still calling them that by next recording then you'll know it's stuck in my vocabulary. It's a handy way to name the worlds, though Amory is not thrilled to be from World Bet. Anyway, Mem said Mem was going to make a golem to protect the house tomorrow morning quite early, so I'm going to head to bed soon. Mem said if I can wake up in time, I can watch Mem create the golem, so I'm going to end here with today's piece of advice. Learn how to give up. Practice quitting. It's not shameful to stop trying if you know you can't do something, or if you don't want to do it. It's something I've learned from being disabled, and it's something that I think everyone can benefit from learning. Sometimes things just really aren't worth your time and energy. Don't waste them because you fear giving up and being able to quit, it's just not worth it. Sometimes things just aren't worth the effort, and that's okay.